The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 216 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. is up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom analyst whose work you can find at mmajunkie.com and today we are breaking down ufc 216 in the normal fashion as we do um but before we do just kind of you know the normal few notes off the top maybe not so normal uh well one normal one uh i, I fucked up <laughs> Earning the explicit every time, Dan. Uh, I think I, I fucked up on the last two. Uh, biffed up, I put on my notes properly so I don't curse, and then I do curse anyways because that's the Dan Tom filter, I guess. But um, <laughs> anybody who maybe has a WordPress maybe will understand this better, but most things you kind of preview before you save, and usually, obviously, before you even publish. And uh, as, you, as you all know, you know the, the, this podcast, by the way, hosted at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Um, where you can find, you know, tidbits, goodies, breakdowns from years past, uh, references, and all that good stuff. But uh, also, mainly, mainly now at least, it, you can find this podcast on smartphone-friendly players. That's right. You can play it on your smartphones, iPhones, and kind of go about your phone, go about your day while still listening aloud or through your headphones by going to MixedMartialAnalyst.com forward slash podcast. But I did everything to get it all on there, and I previewed it, and I played it to make sure, you know, it all it's all good. And it was all good, except I didn't go back and hit a publish. So I, I don't, I think I, I might have not even published until like the day of the fights, if that's how your normal thing is, uh, you know, how you access it. Otherwise, you are probably like waiting for me to finish uploading and getting caught up to date on SoundCloud. Or to finally get my ass on a Stitcher, which I apologize. And usually I would plug other things like Amazon, but uh, another note, note on that. Um, they keep switching up the links. Anyway, so I'm, I don't even want to direct you guys there right now. I appreciate all y'all who've been clicking through. But, you know, hold off till you hear me uh, plug it again this year podcast. Because I don't have many listeners, but y'all are lo- loyal listeners. So I appreciate it, and y'all will be around. I'm not worried about that. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to retire off this thing. Or anything like that, but but yeah. So th- 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 those are kind of the updates and, 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 and on the technical side. And by the way, special shout out to the, my man over in Colorado, uh, Jordan Fiegelman, who helped me out with uh, uh, with some accessibility, some, uh, some 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 DraftKings lines. As you know, freaking between you know, first is DraftKings, now even Bovada. You know, it's hard to do online betting when you live in Vegas, obviously. It's, Kind of a whole nother bag of worms talking about the gaming laws, what they are, as to what they should be, and the influences. Obviously, being in Vegas, they want you at the casino. They don't want you at home on a computer gambling. Anyways, so we don't have DraftKings out here either, but shout out Jordan helping that. And that kind of segues into um, the breakdown. Uh, Again, thankfully, for the most part, my audience, y'all are really smart, awesome, kind, uh, intelligent, 
ear to the grindstone. At least the MMA grindstone. I don't know what the fuck all you else you do in your real personal lives, but as far as MMA and our interactions go, y'all are awesome. I'm really lucky. I'm really grateful for that. And uh, with that comes uh, feedback, good, bad, constructive. But again, when you get a good audience, it, it's 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 mainly good. And if there is anything, then make sure to put it across constructively. So thank you all for doing it. And to thank you, not only do I listen, uh, MMA Junkie listens as well, believe it or not. We, we, we read what you all see on Twitter. And uh, we brought back the gaming sections, uh, you know, the recommended, uh, which we'll get to as I break down the fight, you know, uh, the, the fights to avoid, recommended parlay pieces, uh, um, you know, uh, prop or not prop stuff, fights to avoid, you know, props worth looking at, straight plays. And even, yes, Fantasy MMA, DraftKings, I do my uh, longtime followers will remember I, I had it for a bit uh, while, you know, DraftKings was legal over here. Um, we do kind of just a recommended team. It wasn't so much saying, hey, do this team. This is the team that's going to win. It, the team part was more for fun, and it gave me an excuse to talk about five, now six with the rule changes um, and, and kind of talk about why those fighters might be, you know, in particularly good choices and also might allow me to expand upon them in a different way, you know, or just expand upon them in general. Cause as you know, I've always been the main card, but not the prelims. And, you know, it's a good excuse, especially if, you know, one of the prelim fighters ends up being in your lineup to touch on that fighter. And even if, you know, you're using a fighter from yeah, the main card where I've already provided the in-depth breakdown on, um, as you all know, the difference between fantasy and, and, and just betting, straight betting per se even, um, it's kind of a different game. You know, you're going, a lot of times you're you're going against your quote-unquote official picks and with the game, with the way, you know, uh, salary caps and, and games like DraftKings are structured, you have to go against your picks. So obviously, uh, we'll, we'll get to that part as, as we get there. But uh, but yeah, anyways, that's back. I'm really happy. Uh, I feel like the breakdown's full force. Uh, and, and yeah, again, you know, you give constructive feedback, we're, we're, we're going to listen. I'm going to listen that, uh, that's for sure. And, uh, and, and yeah, appreciate that. Um, before we get to the breakdown though, uh, I'm going to have a sip of water <laughs> actually. Yeah. And before that, one more note. Yeah. So as you don't know, um, uh, old Dan Tom out here lives out in here in Vegas and Vegas has been in the news. I know, crazy, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's been in the news, and uh, it's been hashed so much and probably kind of shoved down your throats, and uh, I don't want to re-trigger that for me, the mood of this podcast, or you personally, or any kind of feelings or personal attachments you had to the event. But yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the shooting at Mandalay Bay, and as you all know, uh, thank you, by the way, everybody that reached out. Um, I I don't know why you wasted time reaching out to me, but I was like, oh, yeah, well, I, I live here and I, I, I work five days a week at Mandalay Bay and made Junkie Radio. Um, it was one of my gigs, you know, with, with my longtime friends, uh, Goes and George, and, 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 and they're grateful for y'all, too, for reaching out to them. Um, and, yeah, man, I was just writing. I was in a good writing flow, man. I was ahead of schedule for once on the breakdown. And son of a bitch goes... He has to text me, and he's like, "Hey man, I don't I don't know about going into work tomorrow." I'm like, "Well, oh shit, what's going on, buddy?" He's like, "You don't not, you're not seeing the news?" I'm like, "No," and, and the shooting was already like an hour in, and of course, so I, I, it doesn't take me long to stumble upon it on Twitter and start following it immediately. Queued up uh, links to Metro uh, police scanners, which was really interesting. 
hearing hearing that. Um, and uh, and yeah, I couldn't couldn't sleep that night, and and probably and to be honest, I hit a slump. It, it really made me kind of sick to my stomach. I was lucky. I didn't know anybody. I knew people there actually, and, and when there was when I was following it live, and at the time there was only two people reported dead somehow. And my buddy Sky, uh, I don't want to say his name, full, or at least full name, if you can make up the first name, but uh, he works sound and stuff, like you know, metalhead dude, uh, dude stuff. I was friends, you know, friends with a lot of music guys. I was in a band myself. It's one of those guys, and a lot of jobs out here. If you know how to work soundboards and stuff like that, and this dude's really good at that. And he was posting on Facebook. He was working sound at the, the concert, and so he was at an elevated view as well as not just being there. Uh, ground zero of it but um and he's posting he's like at least 50 to 60 people fell dead and it's right away and <clears throat> i'm not gonna be one to say someone's being emotional they have every right to be emotional but part of me was like hoping he was wrong right you know i'm hoping that's wrong right i'm hoping it's lower hoping he's just being emotional right maybe he just you know son of a bitch was right you know 59 confirmed at least i believe at the time of this podcast and uh and yeah and, um, you know, by the way, uh, one, of, one of the more closer stories, which is kind of more relevant, um, and, you know, I don't want to, uh, get into charity stuff. You know, it's really great. Vegas is showing that it's a community because I talk shit on Vegas so much. And that's kind of the thing to do for a lot of people. They don't think there's a community out here and there is. So that's all great and all that. And that's been, that's, that, that, that that's, that's been well shown and well covered. And I'm, I'm glad about that. But, um. But yeah, more relevantly, uh, the one thing I will highlight because it's more relevant. I, I didn't share it on Twitter. I gotta, I'm, I'm just realizing this now, but I shared it on Facebook, and I saw those of you shared, and as well as you know, reading the comments, seeing who also donated. But um, I didn't know the gentleman very well, and I'm gonna reshare this link and, and whatnot. This was through actually Ghost Garcia. He's a bellman at Mandalay Bay, uh, is the short of it. And I, I've met him before. I, I you know, I, I met him before and passed by him. You know, every day in the middle of work, but I haven't been working there long, so I don't obviously know him or have the relationship uh, that goes and George do. But uh, he was at the uh, off, off duty, off work with his wife at the concert, and uh, was shielding her and, and got shot in the chest. And I don't want to say the word lucky because no one really was lucky that night. He certainly wasn't. He got shot in the fucking chest, but he got shot in the chest and it went went straight through, missed his wife who was shielding, thankfully, but also missed his heart and lungs. Just like a miracle. So he's he's on the road to recovery, but you know you're, you're wondering where all these millions of dollars, which is great. Thank you know, thank God, more capable hands can donate. Like you know, UFC and and MGM Resorts and all these you know multi-million donors, dollar donors. But um, yeah, man, it's all going to medical bills because that shit stacks up fast. And you look at the numbers of people in the hospital. And uh, anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna share that. Um, if you want to help, thing you know help something directly rather than just throwing to a fund and if you are throwing a fund that's fine just make sure it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate one there's a lot of bullshit out there but uh anyways i don't want to harp on this too long but just maybe i'll just kind of close with an anecdotal story of uh the tie-in not just with the mandalay bay and you know through 10 years of knowing them and even though i've only you know georgian goes and whatnot and going to the show for as long as they've been there which is you know 09 2010 i believe and but Mandalay Bay's been there for a minute. I think two th year two thousand or something like that. I I, uh, I had many birthdays. Like my junior year, I remember like two thousand one um, having 
my birthday there. And I wasn't even, you know, I was in high school. I couldn't drink or anything, but it was just such a nice hotel. And one of my best friends, well, sure, actually, it's kind of one of my best friends' dad was an executive host there. So he said comps on all the nice restaurants. So uh, we'd dress up and go, you know, talk to girls that were way out of our league and get shut down and, you know, go out and have a nice dinner and, and whatnot and, and, and hang out at the hotel. It was a nice hotel, though, you know. It was just kind of great to hang out. And I mean, even when I became of age, I was Dan Tom was straight edge, right, in a punk rock band when I turned 21. But one of my favorite bands, don't judge me, uh, AFI uh, was releasing uh, that one of their albums. I didn't even like the album because they went all fucking melodramatic by the time. It was uh, a December Underground album. Uh, that came out on 666, um, June 6, 2006. And they toured it, and they just happened to be playing Vegas on my birthday, which is August 7th. So this was 8-7-2006. And the reason why this is relevant, because even though we didn't drink, I, we splurged. And I think it was like $800, which was expensive, but also a bargain at the time. And we got the very end suite at the Mandalay Bay, which is the same... Uh, sweet, you know, reportedly, allegedly, whatever, uh, that the, the shooter was firing out of, right? And he was firing out of the 32nd floor. And, uh, well, we ended up, the suite, suite I got for my birthday was the 32nd floor. Now, it wasn't that one. I already know which tower it was, uh, because there's three. If you, anyone knows the, the, the thing of Mandalay Bay, it's like there's three wings to the building, right? And the end tips of each wing, that's three is a end suite and essentially it's like this giant suite with like hot it's like it's essentially like two giant suites uh on opposite ends of the hotel or the hallways and it's connected by this like two giant like living room and it's crazy there's like hot tubs and all the shit in there and a bunch of tvs kitchen it's it's insane and this was like 2006 i can't i don't don't know what it looks like recently but the reason why i know i'm not just bullshitting why even though it wasn't the same one because it wasn't the same wing but it was the same floor and the same model uh, because uh well Danton's favorite uh basketball player Scotty Pippen so one of my favorite numbers is 33 and I wanted number 33 and they like and and the uh what do you call the booking the reception or whatever hotel reception's like oh that one's taken it's reserved actually she didn't say by who but kind of gave a look by like it was somebody important and it actually ended up being AFI who we were there to see and we know this because we kept we stayed there for two nights, and we kept running um, running into them in the elevator and just making small talk with the band, and they ended up being in the ho- the room right above us. So that's how I remember that we were on, on, on 32. So when I heard that, I just had fucking chills thinking that, oh, shit, was that the same room I stayed in? And it wasn't, but it's just, yeah, you know, everybody's got their own little story and tying, like Summer and Sam. Uh, deep reference there, uh, the you know, Spike Lee movie. Everybody's basing around a terrible event that happened during the summer. Everybody has their own perspective of where they were. And, uh, that's Dan Tom. Let's move the fuck on. Sorry about that. It's 15 minutes in. Let's talk some fights. We've got UFC 216 right here in Vegas. Uh, I'm going to be doing some sportscaster thing. Uh, it's going to be like a live stream, like a fight companion. These things are kind of starting to take off the ground. So, um, so uh, we'll be doing that actually, and we got the cameras hooked up. So if you watch the show, uh, MMA Junkie Radio, we'll be doing in the studio through those cameras, me, George, and Goes. And we'll be doing it for the main card, so I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll still be on Twitter, but not dedicated. Obviously, for the main card, I'll be doing kind of what I do on Twitter through the video. So I'll I'll post links on that if you guys want to. You know, some people like you know who 
can't watch the fights like like watch, like watching it. They actually got really good numbers when they did it for Mayweather McGregor, and even people that do order the pay per views. Um, it, it's fun to have on the background, I guess. So if that's your thing, it, it'll be out there. Um, but yeah, the, the UFC 216 is this weekend. That's where I'll be. Uh, I've got odds pulling up right now. As per usual, we're going to start from bottom to top. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's going to bring us to Matt Schnell, who opened as a slight favorite over Marco Beltran, who was a slight dog, and now is minus 105 to Matt Schnell's minus 115, essentially a pick on this being recorded, by the way. Excuse me, Thursday night. My article was dropped earlier today on MMA Junkie, which I'll be referencing throughout this um, podcast. Excuse me. Uh, Matt Schnell... Reminds me of my, my homie, John John Rico. Shout out to John John. Hopefully he's still my homie after my picks tonight because I know he's a Kings MMA guy. It's okay, man. I, I As you all can see, kind of tipping, tipping my hat early. Uh, I, fuck, I'm proving that I go against my biases in this card. Jesus Christ, am I with the, with the gyms that I'm picking against. Oh, I might not have a place to train. All right, we'll get to that when we get to that. Right now it's Matt Schnell versus Marco Beltran. Uh, this is on, as again, referencing the article, uh, the breakdown, flagship. Check it out, MMAJunkie.com. Uh, on fights to avoid, this one is on there. Matt Schell versus Mark, uh, Marco Beltran. I, I avoided it. I, you know, I'm not going to do the starts round two when it opens. I'm not going to do either guy inside the distance. The pick is Schnell um, because I think his, um, you know, I, it's easy to just look and be like, oh, and you kind of have those... Uh, Visuals him getting finished, but you know, you look at him LFA or his regional fights, he has some really sharp striking and more importantly, just counters those counter right hands down the pipe and against a wide open kind of a wild guy like Marco Beltran who hasn't really shorted it up. And maybe, maybe the style is catching up to him prematurely. Maybe it was just that brutal weight cut, which he seems to be doing again, going down to 125. Or, you know, if you look at his last fight against, uh, you know, uh, uh, Devison. Uh, I forget his last name, but yeah, his last fight there. Um, my goodness, it looked like his like, body dysmorphia, like his body was started eating itself. Like it just looked like he was decomposing, like he had like Parkinson's and shit. And um, but yeah, it was it, it did not look good, and uh, he wasn't taking shots as well. Granted, Devison hits hard if you've seen his regional fights before, because that was his uh, debut fight, but. But man, he uh, I, I don't like that, and uh, I know he trains, you know, with Yair Rodriguez. I don't know if he still does. Izzy Martinez and them. I kind of share my uh, my thoughts, uh, you know, on on that before with Yair Rodriguez. And speaking of Yair, you know, same thing. But look at both those guys' last fights, right? They got stopped uh, at the end of round two by doctors from just taking taking damage. From being wild, like you don't get a free lunch, you can't keep doing that. At the same token, though, uh, as far as maybe not stand up, but the ground game, um, same applies for Matt Schnell. I mean, he was really eager to work off his back because he has long limbs, especially for flyweight, and he's really good there. You know, I really like his choices from uh, from from guard. It's, it's a lot of similar choices I would make. The problem is not only you know low percentage off your back, not winning rounds, low percentage scoring submissions, yada yada yada. Um, but taking damage and, you know, in, in Chanel's defense, I'm not willing to say it's like a, we have a, uh, what's his name? Andrew Holbrook situation on our hand where it's like, you hate to pick on a guy's chin. Like chin was right up there. It's like, uh, it's, 
it's not maybe this is a, ter- a bad comparison, but it's one of the things I, I guess to better say that uh, I will try and avoid at all costs until it's an absolute undeniable thing to criticize the guy's chin and say he's done because once your chin is gone, it doesn't matter how good and how much prospect you have, and it's just a sad thing. It's true. It's just a biological. It just it happens. So no free lunches. And uh, Andrew Holbrook's one of those guys. I don't think Matt Schnell is in as devastating as those finishes look. You know, Rob Font doesn't look like he hits hard, but he's a guy that that puts dudes away with his precision. Um, Hector Sandoval, the garbage pail kid, has kind of that like uh, kind of that crazy strength. I didn't use the I didn't use the R word there. Well, Dan Tom caught himself. He's getting better. Probably drop it before this podcast ends. But in Chanel's defense, you look at that fight with Hector Sandoval, and he got rocked like a bunch of times before that, you know? So, which doesn't make it any better. He still got knocked out. He still is lost. Still chips away at the chin regardless. But I'm just saying that it wasn't like those short shots that put him away were the reason why he got put away. He was already rocked about four times up to that point. But the interesting part about that finish, though, is is, is kind of parlaying back to the guard work, um, how I like it from Schnell, but you have to be careful about your choices, not just being there in the first place, which is bad. I'm, uh, you know me, I, um, I'm a fan of stressing or re-wrestling in for position. But if you look at that finish, you know, he, he, Matt Schnell hooks a leg to get an angle on his triangle because he's got kind of a corner lock going on with a high guard. And I'm all about the high guard corner locks and angling off, and I love using leg hooks because... Maybe because especially as Dan Tom has more beards and his core gets you know a lot more wider, I have a hard time cutting the angle on my own. Um, not that that's a reason why you'd hook the leg, but hooking the leg as opposed to underhooking an armpit to cut an angle for leverage or just using your core strength, um, which a light framey guy like Chanel should have no excuse to just use his core strength to be hitting his angles. But he elects for the leg hook nonetheless. The problem though with a leg hook in MMA is not only can guys hit you like you saw. But the glove you're wearing works as a trap. We, you know, I talked about that with Yushino Kami and Ovin St. Pru, um, Darce Choke, how that, you know, the glove works against you. It traps your arm in. Uh, same thing here. Same thing here. When you, you hook a leg, all a guy has to do, and if you look at that replay, all Hector Sandoval does, you just sit down. And now because there's a glove, it makes it much harder to slide you're risk-free to play defense, so you're rendered defenseless, hence it's a knockout. Nonetheless, I think uh, <clears throat> I think he can get uh, Beltran here. You know, Beltran's aggressive, he's dangerous, but he's not always aggressive. You look at spots where actually, not only that, he's not always aggressive, but there's spots where Beltran should be aggressive, and he's opportunistic. And where he should be opportunistic, he's aggressive. So until I see these changes from Beltran, it's hard to pick him, but stay away. I probably talked that, about that fight too much for a stay away, but there it is. All right, next fight. Um. Ah, this one is a uh, straight play and recommended pieces for your parlay. Uh, Brad Tavares, who opened up uh, neighborhood of minus two to one favorite, he's been holding firm at minus two hundred, but now dropping. Knock on wood. Hopefully, he drops more. He might get into a straight play region, but um, well, he actually is in straight play region. Sorry about that, but no, well. No, I don't think it'll reach dog dog money. He's only minus 185. Um, it wasn't that big of a drop. But, yeah, he's minus 185 versus uh, Palace Latest, plus 160 underdog. Um, yeah, I'm pretty high on Tavares here. And it's hard because, like, oh, well, he's you know, Hawaiian extreme couture, of course. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm picking against extreme couture guys again 
tipping my hat for later and picking against a lot of guys I like on this card. Um, it's not about that. It's about the matchup. And against Talis Ledes, even with his second renaissance, which may be coming to an end, the guy turns, well, by the time you hear this podcast, it should be Talis Ledes' birthday, and he'll be turning 37. More importantly, stylistically, forget the age. Let's say he doesn't age at all. Stylistically, renaissance included, it always comes down to the clinch with Ledes. That's where he gets his takedowns. That's where the fight is won, lost, and that's where he's often deterred from the fight, hence why it being won or lost there. So you have to look inside the clinch. And Tavares is underrated in a lot of areas. I understand the criticism, and as a Tavares fan, I share the criticism. I want him to be out there getting finishes too. He's a really heavy-handed, heavy kick, uh, heavy leg guy. Excuse me. Oh, Dan Tom's got the bro. I'm going to have some more water. I don't know if I had enough the first time around. Uh, he's a heavy... You know, you know, heavy-legged guy as far as you know, kicking and 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 whatnot, cool whip. Um, but you know, he doesn't get the he doesn't get the the, the finishes you'd like all the time, or lately I should say. Nonetheless, he is super underrated in the clinch, both countering, reversing, fighting for underhooks, good head position, striking, staying busy to hold the position. Kill clock time to earn the scorecards, put himself firmly ahead in the round, make the other guy fight while he can still fight comfortably. And that's big. Now, again, it would be nice to see him take the next step from there and use that firm base of game that he's using to win fights to maybe make an exclamation and a stamp on a fight would be nice here. But nonetheless, it's a good matchup for him because I don't see... Talis Ledes holding him down, his, you know, stalking Muay Thai cross hook occasional leg kick approach. I don't see that being much trouble for Brad because Brad just does that better, except he works off, you know, a, a jab, keeps his punches a little more straight, variates his timing quicker, stronger, um, etc. So it's just it's just a good matchup. It's a bargainable price, even at the minus two hundred. Uh so Brad Tavares, um, I didn't take any props because they weren't juicy. They're all pretty much no. It's probably headed to the decision, so it was kind of firm minus money there. I think it was like almost like minus one sixty five or some shit um, for like a decision. And now that you're looking, it drops to minus one eighty five for the price of Tavares. You might as well just play him straight. But uh, I played him straight, and he's a parlay piece. Let's move to the next fight. They're all in a row, all in a row. This one I kind of, I kind of was nervous about putting on. Magomed Bibliotov, who is now at minus 600, which would cancel him off the list that he's now on. Um, uh, John Moraga, come back on him, plus 450. Bibliotov was even minus 525, which is kind of above range from what I normally do. And I understand that. And I'm not uh, trying to be that guy that goes overly chalk. But if you know Dan Tom, you know I've been high on, uh, on Bibliotov for a for 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 a minute, um, as far as this game goes, I'm Dan Tom's a big big fan of Kempo Karate guys, uh, big fan of all the all the guys coming from the Russian Dagestani scene, especially the ones that stop and train with uh, Mark Henry, you know, including um, Magomed Sharapov, which I didn't realize was in the corner for um, <laughs> uh, Magomed Bibulatov's fight against uh, uh, fuck Janelle Lauza. Um, for his his UFC debut. Anyways, neither here nor there. Been a bit been a big fan of this guy, but he actually opened at minus four twenty five, and I hit him on the upswing when he was minus four fifty. But with the breakdowns, and as you saw in the disclaimer there, just to kind of make it simple, 
I'm only going to just list the odds of what they're listing that day because that, 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 that's the only thing that's fair. Even if, you know, y'all trust me that, uh, you know, not that I, I'm really outlandish in my plays, units, or what I'm playing, but, you know, even if y'all trust me, it's not fair to be like, oh, you know, because I'm breaking these fights down as the week goes on. So, and I'm never playing things before I break them down. So, in other words, when I play one fight and when I get done with it and maybe I make a play on it, a lot of times I kind of wait till the end, but if there's something where it's like, okay, I know this line's going to move and my analysis is done, I'll play it. But whatever the, the lines are at that time or what the lines are, point is I'll go break down my next flight, let's say come to the same conclusion. Ooh, this is actually something I want to play now uh, rather than waiting because, um, again, my analysis is done. I'm afraid the line might move. It's not in my favor. So I'll go and play. And then when I'm, you know, when I, when I'm going to make that play and I'm looking, looking at the other lines, they're, they're, they're obviously moving, especially – um, the sharp ones. There, there are some fights that, you know, betters are getting smarter. There are some lines that aren't moving until fight day where you just have those desperate, uh, I'm trying to make a parlay uh, the day of to keep shit interesting, you know, day of degenerates, walk-up tickets, so to speak. Um, that's what you're kind of getting. And the sharp money, you're, you know, you could already tell, like, oh, I'm surprised they even opened them as low as a minus 425. And you know that Bibliotov's going to be minus, you know, the six or seven, the 800, the guy everybody piles on. So I kind of knew that. But the fact that it was still, you know, within, because usually my cutoff would be minus 500 out of 525. But since it was kind of close there, I threw it on there. In my defense, if you put him with Brad Tavares and the other leg on there. And again, I recommend them as pieces, not as, not as, not as legs, but in my defense, you put that, the three chalk pieces together, you actually get dog money. And we'll get to the third piece in a second. But the second is Bibliotta versus John Moraga. And man, it's fucking John Moraga, the staring contest champion, 2014, 2015, 20, he's going for 27. That's the real flyweight record. Forget the, forget DJ chasing Anderson Silva's record. It's a John Moraga staring contest record. One right hand, baby. No, seriously though, I mean, he fought fucking Ashcan, the trash can, uh, Mokhtarian in his last fight, had him hurt one of the best John Moraga performances, had his corner saying he's hurt, go at him, attach the leg kick, and he doesn't attach the leg kick, and he doesn't go at him, and he just stares at him. And, you know, he, he puts offense in bursts, and, you know, we capitalize on the ground. His grappling did look good in that fight. I'm not trying to knock on John Moraga, but, man, it's like it's almost looking like he's just he went from like one of the most opportunistic guys as far as like poster childs for opportunism, which you know Dan Tom's not a fan of when that's strictly your game, because you know, for just judging by an unfair paintbrush and going by one of the spectrum, you get a John Moraga. But I don't even know if it's opportunism. I don't know if he's just shot, man. He's just, just on his way out or what it is. I'm not trying to shit on the guy, man. Y'all know I got a soft spot for those for the MMA lab and those dudes, but it it I don't I don't understand Moraga. I don't understand his Star Wars back piece. I don't understand a lot of things. <laughs> I don't. But uh, I do understand how, at least understand how awesome people out of the game. I don't understand it fully, obviously. But maybe I understand it more than most. Because, again, you know, coming from the Kempo Karate base, spending many years training that and, 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 and you know, getting ranked uh, in a black belt myself in that, I recognize that style probably more than any other style of martial art, period. And the difference is, not only does Bibliotov has that, have that in and out and, 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 and the spin kicks, but it's, it's, 
it's layered. It's not like, you know, him and, you know, Magaban Sherapov, it's not like guys like Yair Rodriguez. There's a reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a little harsher in my criticism on the style of Yair Rodriguez, but I'm all over Magaban Sherapov or a guy like Bibiladov because there's a difference there. It's layered. It's technical. Um, it's very intelligent and it's very fundamentally sound with MMA in mind. Their hips are always in a very retrievable position, even when it's thrown out of position because some of these techniques you have to throw your hips out of position, but they keep their hips in a retrievable position so they're always on base. They're ready to hit those sprawls. You see it. Maybe a lot of will sprawl whether he hits or missed. A guy will kind of crash that distance, which they should be doing, right? That's what you do when the guy spins. You crash, you take him down, you make them pay. And we've seen Bibulatov just sprawl. Not only sprawl, but it is a thing I love where when you sprawl and you come up, because right when you come up off a sprawl and the guy's coming off of a failed shot, there's a moment where you're kind of using each other's weight to kind of stand back up into the clinch. And you have a split second to decide if you want to go you know, blast him with a knee, break the clinch. Or what I like and what I like to see guys do in Bibliotis amazingly is he uses that beat and hits an Uchimata, hits a hip toss. And uh, and he hits him beautifully. I mean, he's, he's, his hips are so quick. And again, the spin kicks are layered. You know, Dominic Cruz commented on him where he spin kicks and then that spin kick, that look opens up the spinning back kick. But furthermore, the one thing, and I'm sure Dom knows this, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that Dom didn't comment on in in Bibliotis debut is that before he hits the spinning back fist, yes, he 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 he's he's programming looks. Uh something Demetrius Johnson and other maybe not other guys, because not a lot of other guys fight like Demetrius Johnson, but it's fair, guys on the level of Demetrius Johnson, I should say, do. And he's he was programming looks, but one thing that Bibliotov did right before he hits the spinning back fist is he does the the baiting the baiting lazy jab where you throw a jab with the opposite hand you intend to do the spinning back fist with and you leave it out there and you dip your shoulder low and you almost look at them. You give them that angle that you shouldn't want them to have where they can see down your ear and there's that there's that there's that counter cross that's just begging you're begging to be hit with, right? And you use that as kind of a faint bait and draws them in and it lines them up beautifully for the spinning back fist, which if you listen to the last episode of the Protect Your Neck podcast, shout out to Matthew Wells again for coming on. We did the top five title changeovers, and I had Dan Henderson versus Vanderlei Silva 2, probably 33. Hopefully you went back and watched that one at least, if not watching a lot of the stuff we recommended there on, and touched on that episode. But in that fight particular, you know, we touched on that. Dan Henderson does just that, that same move where he kind of faints it, he faints it low and then sp- you know, just, just kind of retracts it low, like, oh, come counter me. Boom, spinning back fist. And just those constant layers like that. You know, he touches the leg to make you think think about a takedown. But he's not just programming the takedown, which is smart. Not enough guys do enough, as simple as that is. Fake the takedown strike. Fake the strike takedown. And, and, and rinse, wash, repeat. But he takes it to a new level where he's he's tapping the knee like, oh, I want the takedown. But then next time he does that, he's throwing the uppercut. So not just going takedown to strike, but I want you to look down because I'm going to open up that uppercut shot, and I want to feed you right into it. And uh, it's just these little details. It's those little things and being able to keep your hips to have that adjusting game that's going to make the difference against a guy like DJ. I mean, it's those little things that make the difference. And as much as I'm, I'm, I'm pontificating as is deserved about the spinning techniques, same with Magomed Sharapov, his uh, teammate there. Um 
but was, same with Magomed Sharapov is what impressed me most in both their performances was their wrestling, their counter wrestling, and their floats on top were so impressive. Um, and not you know making it a Magomed Sharapov, a Magomed Sharapov breakdown. So I'll, I'll keep to the people out of part of it. But like you see him against Janelle. Granted, Janelle is not an excellent ground fighter at all, but that doesn't matter here for the things that maybe a lot of are doing when you're analyzing a fighter, you know, Oh, this guy's not good. Of course he's going to do that. Yes. And no, I mean, yes, maybe he's going to have his way with them, but, but uh, that doesn't mean he's going to use the proper technique, you know? Uh, and, and not only, if, even if a guy does have a proper technique, he might not always use it because he's going to fight low to his competition. Maybe a lot of didn't do that. He didn't fight low to his competition. Um, Criticize him for not getting a finish. Lows is tough, but technically he didn't fight low to his competition. He didn't cut any corners. He didn't cut any corners. Um, you see him understanding lever awareness, breaking down somebody's base when they're trying to get to their base, uh, shelving their legs so they can't use them, or hooking the leg a la BJ Penn, John Fitch, like where you know he he uses it as a hook, comes underneath both of his legs with one of his legs while he's on the double, while you know his his upper body and, and, and upper torso and arms are occupied, holding him down from top side with from a double leg position. But just doing those little extra, those little those little check marks, dotting his eyes, crossing his T's, like that shit's really impressive. So, um, sorry, I could talk, I could talk f for days on this kid. I'm real high on him. Maybe because my other two dark horses who also had Kenpo karate backgrounds shot themselves in the foot out of the, being the dark horse competition at Flyweight. Yes, I'm talking about, uh, Luis Smolka, who's known more for his grappling, obviously, and of course, Justin Scoggins. But, but no, honestly, Magomed Bilbiladov, I believe is the truth. He is the only guy that I could see challenging, um, DJ unless, um, Unless the Gooch comes back like fucking Luke Skywalker and Jedi. That's right. Rufian bitches with his hands. All right. Next, on that note, next fight. Walt Harris, minus 330 now uh, against Mark Godbeer, plus 270. Um, Harris, Harris actually is, is, is the first fighter uh, to give us an excuse to talk about fantasy MMA because he's on that list. And as minus 310 when he was about, uh, you know, minus, you know, just a little lower there, uh, he's on the uh, recommended parlay pieces. And he's still worthy minus 330, by the way. Which sucks because I like Mark Godbeer, man. He is like salt of the earth, dude. Met him when he was out here in his last, for his last fight, UFC 209. Interviewed him and Paul Craig. Um, for, for full combat. And those dudes were just... Awesome. Uh, obviously, Paul Craig's a character, but Mark Gobbier, maybe let not not known. I don't know how he comes off. It's a big, brutish heavyweight, right? But he fucking nice dude. Like you, you meet certain people, and you're like, oh, this is a nice person, and just the fact that it's a heavyweight fighter like that, you're like, oh, this guy's such a nice guy. And uh, you know, I know he's had some tough shakes in his career with some regional promotion stuff. I don't know the details of, but you just want to see like guy like that do well. Fortunately, they're giving him Walt Harris, who is the guy that I've always thought was really underrated. Uh, I was there live for his debut in the UFC against Jared Rochalt, which say what you will about Rochalt. That was one of his more sadly impressive performances, and it was a tough draw, tough stylistic draw for a lot of guys, but especially for Walt Harris, who 
whose youth was really showing. Not that it still doesn't, but he's really come a long way since then. You know, he lost his first three fights in the UFC, but you could tell there was talent there. I mean, it just... I hate banking on, oh, a guy's athletic. Look at him. He's so athletic because you see guys just start making up accolades just because a guy looks athletic. They're not looking at the technique. But Walt A is athletic and has just that 6'5 build that's like, fuck, man. Jesus Christ. Like, this dude could do some damage. Um, but also just the way he moves. He's a southpaw. And I was thinking, we interviewed him on Junkie, and I was thinking about our interview. I'm like, there's not that many heavyweight southpaws when you think about it. Oh, wait. There's that one guy, that Croatian dude who was doing some things for a minute, right? Crow Cop. Just kidding. But yeah, no, no. He was a southpaw, obviously. But um, there, there, really, there really wasn't a lot. And there isn't a lot. So if you can have that, you know, southpaw style and you're a fast striker and you're really athletic and have these advantages got popped to your shot well you're gonna do some damage and he's doing that he's found his groove you know i was asking him guys who he looks up to and you know vitor belfort which you know makes sense you know this is the straight cross left kick uh right hook up jab you know these 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 patented you know uh, staples of the two of the southpaw tool, toolkit if you will um you know walt harrison bodies those he, he and it was really cool that uh he likes guys like terrence crawford because that was cool he appreciates the stance switchers and, and, and the crafty cats in there too so i'm excited to see what what walt harris can do i think his speed and striking is going to be on another level god forbid he gets on top of god beer who hopefully is improving his wrestling because man walt harris's ground and pound is freaking scary uh, Harris is, I believe, second or third most priciest guy on DraftKings. Well, I think he's worth it. You're going to look for a heavyweight. You're going to look for a, uh, a finish. You want to look for there is no sure thing in MMA. That's for damn sure. But mm, having some chalk on your side, knowing you're at least going to get a win, regardless of what the points you get from it, also doesn't hurt for consolation prizes. For well, consolation prize is a high-scoring loser, but you know, consolation prize for a winner, I should say, as far as fantasy MMA. Regardless, Harris checks all those boxes from top to bottom. Uh, I think he's worth making room for. Uh, I did for my fantasy list, which again you can check on MMAJunkie.com. Looking here. No, no, negative. Oh, by the way, Tavares, I had a straight play on for 1.5 units and minus 200. Kind of wish I waited for the minus 185. But, yeah, it's all good. We'll see how the fight plays out. Maybe it doesn't matter if I wish I waited, right? Hey. All right, the next fight up on deck is uh, Pro Gonzalez. And her sophomore performance welcoming uh, what should be her sophomore performance. Um, she got injured. Uh, Paulina, um, sorry, Botello, sorry, I lost the screen for a second, um, who has an interesting story, by the way, I tweeted it earlier, if you want to go to my timeline, it's also on MMA Junkies by, uh, Fernand, by, uh, Fernanda Protes, um, which is awesome, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Kareem doing his stuff in Russia, or for Bloody Elbow, or of course, Junkie's own uh, Fernanda in Brazil. It's great for us English speaking, the main kind of audience, I guess, you know, North American audience from May. Kind of get a window because with the oversaturation, as much as shit as we want to complain about, ooh, the fuck is this guy left and right? That doesn't mean these fighters don't have 
have compelling stories. So props to not just Fernando, but all the fighters out there. Lynch, all his hustling, getting guys' stories out there. You know, sharing the fighters' stories. I find that stuff interesting. I hope you do too. And especially when there's not a lot of information and or there's a, a language barrier, these ones are particularly helpful. So, so, so props there. Go check out that story on on, uh, on Pollyanna. But um, as far as fighting goes, she's a Novo Nya product. Pressure, Muay Thai. Excuse me. Um, good leg kicks. Although she kind of has her leg kicks countered a lot for takedowns, it should be interesting to see. Pro Gonzalez do, or to see if she does, because um, she doesn't really do that. Do that, but what she does do, which kind of worries me, is not only does she shell, which will open up the body, um, it'll also open up the punctuating leg kicks from Pollyanna. And not only does Pearl Gonzalez shell, but she also puts her weight heavy on her lead foot, and as you know, that makes you more susceptible to eat leg kicks, harder to retract, and you're just kind of there to be taken by them. You're committed to it. So, uh, she actually has a very stance similar to Gilbert El Nino Melendez, speaking of eating leg kicks and how they could be bad. I don't think it's going to be quite that brutal of a situation here, obviously. We're talking about 115-pound females, but these are physical girls. I know Pro Gonzalez, you know, it's not easy for her. I don't know how Pauline Botello makes it. Apparently, you know, it doesn't look like she made it. She's, she's, she's fought at that weight before, from what I've saw in tapology maybe it was something uh, was missed but she has referenced uh nevertheless you know Pollyanna has referenced that it's tough to make it and if you look at her physique against other girls or just looking at pictures of her you can tell she's got a real thick muscular frame like naturally thick you know not talking about like oh she needs to change her you know diet or anything like that and being rude it's not like that at all not that I would be rude if it was that case but no no she just legitimately has an athletic frame to her so I don't know how long she's going to make this weight or how she's going to make the weight. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure she will. Um, and um, she's the pick here. I, I get why she's slightly favored at my right now, at least minus 145. I know she opened as a favorite. I'm not sure what she opened at. But right now the comeback on Pro Gonzalez is plus 125. I avoided it like the plague, though, as it is on the avoid list, which you can find at MMAJunkie.com for my breakdown. Um... Yeah, me to song. All right, let's move on from that fight. Not much else really to talk about um, there. Oh, yeah, Pollyanna's going to have to stay away from those arm bars, though. She almost got arm bar in her last fight, despite it being a victory. And Pearl Gonzalez, one of her arguably her best win was against Courtney Casey. Granted, it was three years ago, but Courtney Casey was taking it to her. And Pearl Gonzalez just stays committed, going for, 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 uh, for the same attack and is able to hit it uh, an arm bar. Uh, she's really good at those, has a taste for those, so that's one of the things I see being potent here. Other than that, the pick's Paulina, but no play. All right, next, Lando Venata, minus 220. He's been kind of hovering around there with the comeback on Bobby Green, plus 180, and I get it. Um, because Venata, we we all, including myself, had to pump the brakes, despite him being so highly touted through you know Jackson Wink and, and all those guys, and he, he's the next best thing, and seeing amazing things like I remember almost thinking about like dude do I not pick Ferguson when I had to break that fight down because I I remember it came off of that crazy UFC 200 weekend where it was like three cards so I was like 
fuck y'all, I'm not doing the whole uh, Sioux Falls card. I'm only going to do three, but I only was able to do two because I ran out of steam. But the one I ended up doing and, and just not writing up uh, that they didn't make the chopping block was Tony Ferguson versus Venata. I was like, it was crazy odd. No one expected Venata to even put up a fight there, right? I was like, ah, shit. But when I was looking at the footage of Venata, I'm like, oh, there's something special about this cat. And it wasn't even so much the striking. For me, it was the wrestling, you know? You see guys, you know, RFA, you know, they push him up against the cage, and he's doing, like, a Granby rule midair cartwheel shit against the cage to get out of cage pressure. It was insane. I mean, when he channels that, the problem is he's been going to his wrestling a lot less and showed the inability to adjust in his last fight. So, again, made all of us, including myself, pump the brakes. We're going to have to be able to see that Lando Venata can adjust and not fall into one of these traps where he's going to go spend his miles early, spend his tokens early at the arcade instead of, you know, kind of building up and getting the prize that maybe he arguably has enough skills to win. So um, we'll see that in this fight. And I, I guess I'm not alone in that thought, seeing that the line really hasn't moved too much in this one because Bobby Green is a guy who I feel is underrated. Even when I picked against Bobby Green, like I picked Dustin Poirier against him, but party wanted to pick Bobby Green, man. I'm, I'm one of those guys, guys that... I, I like his game, and I feel it's very underrated. Um, he has, he, he, you know, for, for, for as far as the wrestling, he, he was using it more against R- Rashid Magomedov. He has those key, you know, not key intangibles. That's the word I was going to use. What's the word I want to use here? We'll just say key, he has those key legs to his game. He's, you know, I'll, I'll use the parlay term, whatever. He has key legs to his game that, are crucial if you want to compete and beat a guy like Lando Venata. I mean, he can do that. The problem is, I think, you know, if Lando doesn't adjust, and even if he's kind of aggressive Lando and is doing the same thing he did against David Timor his last time out, I actually still think that it works for Lando here. Reason being is because, uh, you know, I'm really high on Rashid Magomedov, but again, even though I address it as being acknowledge it as being a problem, I apparently underestimate how much of a problem it is because every time he, you know, Rashid Magomedov's problem, he doesn't have enough volume. Uh, you know, he doesn't, doesn't put enough pressure out there, even if that's his goal going game plan going into the fight. Um, and he didn't, you know, he made it, even though he won that fight, he made it much closer than it needed to be maybe against Bobby Green, who was actually doing good in that fight in, in Bobby Green's defense. But Bobby Green's just propensity to be low-handed. And again, I don't, I don't condemn him for it. I get what he's doing there and what he's trying to set up. The problem is when you're doing those, you know, kind of James Tony-esque almost, you know, uh, you know, slip, duck rolls, all those, you know, all, all those moves, all those moves with your head unprotected and you're kind of extending out over to the left or over to the right. I don't like it when those guys. I don't like it when you do that against a guy who has sweeping offense. And what I mean by that is, Lando's all switching stances and he does spinning stuff. But more importantly than spinning stuff, even when he's not spinning, it's in the spirit of sweeping. So he's fainting, and all, whether he's fainting, whether he's striking from either stance, it's to get you going a certain way because he really wants to hit you with the third, the second, third, or even fourth strike, uh, whether it's spinning, straightforward, or whatever. He, he's going to direct you into that. He likes to steer you into these strikes and kind of sweep you. He's gonna put you into that range and sweep like a like a like a machine gun, you know, you know, like a machine gun out of a black hawk. Just just sweep the area, and uh, and then that's what he does. So if you're gonna be moving your head unprotected in the area that he likes to sweep, well, 
that's a potential point of problem. It's going to be real interesting to see how both guys uh, approach that. But if either guy wants to get offensive with the wrestling, both guys I think have the have the wrestling chops, athleticism, reaction time still to to thwart the other guy. So it, I think it's going to be a tighter fight than what the odds indicate. It's a little inflated for what we would like to see them at, which is why we're probably all staying away. Um, that was not officially on my stay away list, but I didn't touch it, man. I'm looking at my place, uh, my personal ones, all that. Yeah, I didn't touch. I didn't touch the thing. So take for that what you will. All right, next fight: Nick Lentz plus three twenty five underdog against Ill Will Brooks. Speaking of Ill Will, uh, he's minus four hundred now. Wow, that line grew. I think he was minus three hundred. Either way, this is on the fights to avoid, regardless. But. I uh, this will be interesting, man. It's, it's tough because it's, it's a it's a way inflated line. Will Brooks and uh, I'm an advocate for a style. I think it's better than people realize. Especially you know, again, you, you lose two in a row, especially getting finished. It's so easy for it just to get dumped on by the narrative, right? So I definitely want to defend Brooks in that regard, but I don't. I can't defend the line. That that, that shit's way too inflated for a matchup where both guys, you know. Lentz gets stifled a lot in the clinch, but he does good work inside the clinch and makes things happen, whereas Will Brooks stifles fights in the clinch, but also can, you know, as we saw in the Alex Oliveira, can be made or can be, you know, can be, you know, be made or broke inside the clinch as well, if that's even the right terminology. But yeah, so in, in, in other words, it does have the potential to be volatile as in, as in go the other way here. And have Lentz win, but more importantly, it has the potential to be an odd fight. So, you know, an odd, odd, awkward fight. So, I'm staying away. I am rooting for Will Brooks. He needs the win here, and I'm not a big fan of Nick Lentz. Um, uh, aside from his politics and, 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 and Trump stuff, just the whole uh, BJ Penn stuff always had a, had a bad taste in my mouth. It was kind of gross calling somebody out and then having MMA writers help you. Um, write poems that at a certain point were just uncreative and unfunny. Not that they were that funny in the first place, but whatever. I know I'm a BJ Penn fan. Da, 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 da. Either way, that doesn't change the fact that Nick Lentz isn't funny and has a fucked up haircut. But uh, aside from that, I do respect the dude's skills, so that's why I, I would not lay money, even if the line was probably half that. Even if it was minus 200 World Books, I wouldn't play it against Nick Lentz. So um, the dude has skills. He's also, by the way, he's training... Um, Henry Hoofs down there in Florida, and I think that pressure fighting and fundamentals for uh, you know a veteran fighter, something I was talking with my man over Zane Simon over there, Bloody Elbow. Um, Henry Hoof generally does well with those guys, so that's definitely something to watch here for Nick Lentz. So I'm gonna sit back and watch this fight. It's on the avoid. All right, last fight on the prelims: Cody Stammen plus 145 versus Tom Firekid Dukinwa. Minus 165, surprisingly, with all the hype on Duke and Wall. And I, and I justifiably so. I was probably one of those dudes fucking jerking my dick while talking to him last time out. But, I mean, <laughs> no. Seriously, Duke and Wall, uh, awesome. I mean, French guy with the wrestling accolades. What? Not that he's, you know, uh, a standout wrestler par, you know, per se. Uh, Stammen should have the wrestling advantage here. It's actually... Interesting. Not only is it a good wrestler and a good American wrestler, which you want to see a guy like Dukenwall face, a prospect, a European fighter, a European young fighter, a European young prospect, you want to see them against 
tough matchups, guys who can wrestle, but more importantly, Stanham is a guy who hits a really good reactionary power double. And that is the kind of takedown that I see probably having the highest percentage in a guy like Duke and Wah. Duke and Wah sounds like he's really li- and looks like, and according to his own, you know, admitted by his own accord, he, he kind of structured and layered his takedown defense inside the clinch to incorporate his, his old Muay Thai elbows, his old faithfuls. Old faithfuls there from uh, Tom Duke and Wah. And, it, you know, and you see that, you know, I think Joanna, Joanna and Jacek, um maybe started to trend there, you know, because she's real good where she just frames with her forearms and then uses those short elbows where usually you wouldn't see it till a guy was in side control, maybe even I have to all the way being a crucifix, right? And they push down, on the, push down on the side of the guy's head and they drop an elbow, right? And they would repeat that move. And now we're seeing, you know, fighters like Joanna and Jacek and even Tom Duke and Wah, they're, they're doing it. Not only standing in the clinch, but but mid 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 transaction, mid mid transition, they're having this transaction. I should say, you know, framing framing the space, getting oh no no I'm gonna get your head position. And by the way, that's one of the most impressive things you can see. Uh, the Greco training comes in is Dukenwa's head position inside the clinch. It's beautiful. It's it's so disciplined each time. Um, and uh, that's gonna be important here uh, because you know Cody Stammen, even though. You could argue where the boxing slickness and savviness meets the arguable ineffectiveness or effectiveness for MMA, but the dude does throw some mean hooks inside, so you've got to have your head buried in the chest or under head up and driving in your opponent under the chin if possible, as Tom Dukenois tends to do. But Stammen, man, speaking of sweeping kicks, he's got some really underrated sweeping kicks that I could see uh, catching Tom Dukenois because Dukenois is real hittable, you know, from sweeping stuff to, to straight on stuff. He ran into a a right hand for Patrick Williams is his, his, his uh, last time out in his UFC debut. So the the dude's definitely hittable, but he recovers well. He doesn't lose any confidence. Um, again, no free lunches. Uh, as Cody Stammen could very well beat him here because Stammen is actually, even though I picked against him, the picks do can well, not confident. That's why I didn't end up doing a straight play on him. I didn't really touch this one except for fantasy-wise. Um, this was the one dog where I had, I had to pick... Of all six, I actually wanted, I only picked one person that uh, I, I didn't officially pick, and this is it, Cody Stammen. He's a really cheap price, and uh, mine, it's you know $7,100 for the DraftKings roster. And the good thing is is both these guys have the ability to finish the other guy, whether it's by you know submission or, or strikes. But since, as the odds would indicate, and my analysis would indicate, it's going to be a close fight. And if it's a close fight... Especially in lighter weight classes, where percentages are starting to creep up for uh, mathematically for the decision, right? Okay. Regardless of who wins the decision, I gotta imagine that Stamen's not only gonna test Duke and Wah here, but even if Duke and Wah pass the test and wins the fight, and even starts to eventually win out the wrestling exchanges to win the fight. I have to imagine that Stammen's going to get his fair share of takedowns here because you could see it. I mean, granted, he took the fight short notice, but he also didn't have to cut weight for it and was kind of fighting an injury, so maybe it's not an issue. But you even see it in his, his, his regional fights too, the ones that tend to actually you know, uh, go a little longer. Um, he'll use the, his, his wrestling base and those reactionary takedowns, that aforementioned power, reactionary power double to manage pace. So it's going to be really interesting against a guy like Dukenwa, who's no no slouch off his back. You'll see it, especially in his regional scenes. You know, his butterflies, butterfly hooks, underhooks, uh, understanding of hips, momentum, sweeps. Uh, 
creating scrambles. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be a fun one. But the point is, the reason why Stammen's on there for the DraftKings is because in a winning or losing effort, he's probably going to be scoring you not just significant strikes, but, but more importantly, takedowns. And with the way uh, points are now structured on DraftKings, I say now as in if it's new, it's not even really new anymore. Um, but since last time I do it, it's it's changed since the last time old Dan Tom's did this, in other words. Takedowns uh, are, are a real important aspect of it now. So that's why Stammen's on there. If a guy's going to lose, I want a guy that's going to be have a, have, a, have a potential to be in the fight. He's not going to give it up. He's got the attitude intangible Stammen. Uh, you know, Cody Stammen does, and I talk about that attitude intangible. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the wrestling's not, not a bad thing to back up on. So, on that beat, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to unpack the main card for UFC 216 right here in the Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC 216. Starting off, as per usual, kicking it off in the, in my favorite division, the lightweight division, for a reason, because it's awesome. Now, you know, it, 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 it's, a nice, it's a nice sweet spot of technique, power, and all that good stuff. And it's a battle of southpaws, Benil Daryush versus Evan Dunham. Um, yeah, you know, full disclosure, you know, as you all know, um, I know Evan through Extreme Couture. It was brief, but he did coach my grappling team for a brief moment of time, and I haven't seen him in you know probably almost a year, probably. But for those of you who follow the Protecting Neck podcast, especially on Twitter uh, at the PYN podcast, easy part about that is at the PYN podcast is also our address for Instagram and Facebook. But uh, and those follows, the follows are, pre- uh, are very appreciative too. Thank you very much for, for that if you haven't already. But um, but yeah, um, you look at the one on Twitter more specifically, the wh- whatever you call that, the, the title photo, header photo. We'll go with header photo. Um, you'll see a dude getting choked out. The dude getting choked out is me by an arm triangle, and the dude choking me out is Evan Dunham. So I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some type of bias there. In other words. But you can go straight to hell if you don't love Benil Daryush because he is like one of the most fucking coolest, awesome, nicest dudes on the planet. Forget in the UFC. Um, and uh, yeah, how can you not like d- d- dislike that guy? And these guys are both very similar, man. They're both very similar. Um, you know, I think Daryush is the more you know he- heavier-handed guy, the more maybe potent, the more maybe dangerous guy. But if you look at traditionally, they, they both struggle with the same things. They're grapplers who aren't necessarily athletic guys. They're very smart guys who are natural fighters, but they're not athletic guys by any stretch. And they've had to compensate for that. And you really see that 
kind of come to a head when they hit certain matchups uh, they have trouble with, right? Um, even in fights, you know, that it's deceptive because you have Darius who may you know, want a fight or two that you you could argue could have gone the other way or has done them. Man, Dunham, Dunham's one of the more underrated guys. I was really surprised to see this line. Like, I, I don't disagree that Darius should, he, Darius should be the favorite. I don't blame you for picking him. He should be the favorite. But the margin of the line, even at just 2-1 to one underdog for Dunham, was just really surprising for this kind of fight. Because on paper, this is a close fight. These guys, again, are very similar. Um, they're pressure fighters and different types of pressure fighters. But they're both pressure fighters, southpaws. Uh, grapplers, but um, before I get into the wrestling, I guess, where was the direction I was heading before that? They both struggle with the same type of guys. Uh, oh, yeah, Dunham. This is very underrated. You know, you look at it, starting you know, starting with his first former world champion, Sean Shirk, UFC 119, that's a fight he should have won. Uh, if you watch that fight, many, many people that he should have, he got robbed there, and then... You know, he f- fights TJ Grant, great fucking fight. And that's a close fight. Like, I get that's not a robbery by any means. But at the same time, I think I and many scored it for Dunham. It was one of those cases where Dunham got cut and he got cut early. So the refs were like, oh, that guy is bloody. Let's give him the round. Because if you look at it, Dunham was landing the more quality shots by view, by number and statistic, he was landing more. And he was landing takedowns, more importantly, landing takedowns to close every round, which always scores well in the judges' scorecards. And was like, it was like end-all, be-all to their scorecards at this point in, in MMA. So I was like, oh, for sure Dunham got it. Or maybe not for sure, but he, I, I'm, I'm, I feel good about the decision here. And he didn't get it, and it was rough. I remember seeing him... Um, seeing him after that fight with the stitches in his head. I was like, oh, man, that's rough. And, uh, and he, then he gets to, gets to go, you know, that was fighting a, can, a, Canadian, a Canadian in Canada. And then he goes to, gets to fight a Brazilian in Brazil named Rafael dos Anjos. Jesus, I don't know how he didn't win that fight. That was a really bad one. That was one where I wouldn't blame anybody for saying robbery. I hate using that word, but man, that was a bad one. That, that, was, that was pretty bad. Um, and uh, he loses that. Dos Anjos goes on to get, you know, make his title run. And it's like it was one of those things. It's like the UFC when they see that they're like, okay, we're gonna reward you. We're gonna treat you like it was a win, which sounds like a good thing, until they go, we're gonna treat that like a win after you fought Hafa dos Anjos. Here's Edson Barbosa and Donald Cerrone back to back. Like the dude has not had an easy path, and that was also around the time where he was having a kid, which is an intangible to all fighters, great ones, and 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 journey to journeymen alike. He was changing gyms, starting his own gym, which is an intangible in its own, personal, right? So yeah, he, he, you know what? Even if he wasn't facing, you know, killers, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have expected to see the best done him there, right? Right? You, it'd be hard to. Um, traditionally, when you look at those kind of scenarios and how fighters do, win or lose. And he gets well, not just the hardest stretch of his career, not one of the hardest stretches a career could have right there. Yet, he's quietly bounced back. He's riding a four-fight win streak. Um, and he's only been getting better. Um, you know, there's been subtle changes in his technique, the angles he's throwing his punches. 
You know, it's very, uh, very predictable combinations at times. Just throws a lot of the same things, a lot, a lot of patterns in there, but they're good patterns. They work really well. He knows how to use them. And when you're putting up the numbers, not just numbers, but you're, you're, you're being accurate with the numbers. I mean, he is still in and has been for some time, all time, top three, lightweight, the best, deepest, long time, deepest division. Top three in significant strikes all time. That is Evan Dunham. So, if Daryush, both guys do well against Southpaws, by the way. Uh, Evan Dunham's 3-1 and one against UFC Southpaws. He should be 4-0 because that one against, again, Afilo Desanos, who he did very well against in the striking department. He uh, actually bloodied him up pretty badly. I didn't really, you know, Tony Ferguson probably has the most impressive performance as far as, like, sustained beating. Uh, and maybe beating is a, a, a strong word, but you compare what Ferguson did to what Dunham was doing at certain points, or at least how Dos Anjos looked as far as cuts. Like, I, for, I forgot how fucked up Dos Anjos looked in that fight. But anyways, uh, Benil Deryush, a longtime training partner of Dos Anjos, is 2-1 against Southpaws. Um, but that's arguably... See, again, it's a switch there. He's arguably 1-2 because one of those wins came against Michael Johnson, which... Fuck man, I love that. I love Benny man, but I, I watched that again, and I, I don't know. I don't think it's hard to make an argument there. You know. Anyways, but neither here nor there. They both do good against southpaws, but if Daryush, you know, can't ice Dunham like he iced Vic, or, you know, or get off, um, I don't know because. Both guys aren't that athletic, but the difference is footwork and wrestling. And what I'm talking about right now is footwork is that even though Dunham's not athletic, his footwork is going to make it very difficult. When Benny does well is when Benny's able to really pl- land his kicks. And um, he had trouble at first, but once he was able to hurt Vic, he was able to get Vic into a brawl. And, and that's what led to his finish. Otherwise, Benny seems to have trouble when guys are kind of in and out on him. He almost needs guys to not necessarily plant or be a plotting type striker, but being one of the more consistent, most disciplined movers and most disciplined strikers as far as output while moving. I think that's a tougher matchup, you know? Um, Dunham, I don't think Dunham's chin is, is, is bad by any means, but it's certainly susceptible. He's taken a lot of damage. His chin has actually been better, which in long term makes those guys worse because they don't get knocked out, because they go through these wars, you know? Fuck, man. I was watching, uh, I didn't even realize this. I forget what fight it was. It was one that Dunham won. It was like, oh, it was versus Escudero. You know, he submits Escudero. We all remember that finish in the third round, but in the first round, Dunham gets tagged up by Escudero because Escudero usually has a good first round and then he kind of just kind of fades out. And. In between, and then the second round, Dunham comes back and he does really well. And classic Dunham's got the crowd going, you know, uh, his opponent in trouble. The horn sounds in the second round. He's, he's, ah, putting his hands up, getting the crowd into it, right? Goes back to his corner and goes, that was the first round, right? I'm like, dude, we're headed into the last round of the fight. And it's like, they reminded me of that Alex Caceres moment where he's like, you're locked. I, mean, I mean, he didn't freak out like Alex Caceres, but Alex Caceres, I forget what a fight it was. I, th- I want to say it was like, uh, Edwin Figueroa, where he thought it was, just, it was just, he had the same round count. He thought they were going into the second round when they were going into the third and final. And Alex Caceres actually was like calling his corner. I was like, you're lying, you're lying. And 
we joke, man, it's just disturbing, you know. You know Dan Tom is a soft spot in his heart for old head trauma. Anyways, this fight remains striking. Uh, I, I see Dunham putting up the numbers, and more importantly, he's a better wrestler. That's another thing. Darius, he he'll shoot takedowns, and he has reactionary takedowns, but he doesn't hit him very often. They're not that great. Again, he's not the most athletic or explosive dude. Most of his takedowns are in the clinch and against the fence. Like He has to have kind of those two things in mind to get the takedown. And even when you look at the times where he's finishing guys on the ground, those came by the opponent's mistakes. They didn't come from his takedowns, you know? Uh, minus the fight with Jim Miller, that was pretty consistent and processed, but that was also the Lyme disease Jim Miller too as well, So where Jim Miller was training for another opponent as well because I believe Darius stepped in there last minute because he just came off a fight camp where he didn't take much damage. Um, so, yeah, anyways, the pick there is Dunham. So I, I played him, put my money where my mouth is, put a half unit um, at plus 195. Uh, I'll pull him up what he's, what he's at right now is rambling, so the thing timed out on me. But I also played him by decision. Quarter unit, because you're getting plus 315 there. And, again, if he's an official pick, uh, his official dog pick for the analysis, well then, my, it's easy when it comes time to picking dogs for your DraftKings roster. I, I've got him for DraftKings. He's only $100 more than Cody Stammen was at 7200 you get a, a live dog like that on there who's going to get takedowns, uh, a high significant strike leader. He's going to score you points. Even in a losing defeat, he's probably going to be he's probably going to be one of the highest scoring losers on the card, even if Dunham loses. And he'll be able to make room for the bigger price guys like the aforementioned Walt Harris. So Dunham makes it on the roster for that reason. Let's just move on. I'm pulling up the lines right now, but fuck it. We got to get going here. Let's move on to the next fight. I'll be quick on this one. It is the female fight. It is quite the delight. All right. Uh, Mara Romero, Romero Borella versus Kalindra Faria, who's, who's been around, man. You know, she's appeared in my tape study many times. Um, not so much for Claudia Gadelia, although she's fought her more for Jessica Aguilar. She fought her in WSOF and had a an, had an awesome fight in KSW with Karolina Kowalkiewicz. Um, Farias from Brazil, real pressure fighter, come forward almost to a detriment early to mid to her career. Uh, you, you see that in the Kowalkiewicz fight, but after that, she seems to start kind of adjusting. That was, I think it was like in 2014, and she starts adjusting in these last three years or so, and now she's much smarter with her pressure. She'll occasionally switch to southpaw and get fancy, of recently, but you know, she more importantly, she's incorporating more pulls, returns, and feints into her pressure. So she's drawing out the offense and then pressuring forward, not just pressuring forward into her opponent's offense, hoping to get the better of the exchanges, which is what she used to do. And boy, did she used to get marked up for doing it, win or lose. But uh, she's adjusted that much better. Um, obviously, she's going to be the favorite. You know, minus 210 right now. Come back on Mara Romero Borella at plus 175. Um, you know, she's short notice. And Mara Romero Borella is a... <laughs> uh, she, apparently, she's got a lot of stand-ups in her accolades, but I don't know how true those are because uh, there's much to be desired. She kind of would just circle and counter, which she still did a lot of, but to a detriment. And when she would come in, it was really poor. And she got herself uh, oh, stopped about three times there in a row. But after that, she makes an adjustment. And she goes, okay, well, I can't overcorrect the steering wheel and just be a pressure fighter because you could see her overcorrecting the steering wheel in the fights where she goes, I got to go forward. And she would just get cracked. 
she seems she seems like she's found a happy medium, or at least is is working toward that happy medium, uh, becoming more of a stick and move stylist. Again, she still sit back and counter, but it's more of a stick and move counter, stick move counter. Um, nonetheless, I don't I don't see her faring well. I mean, you look at uh, the most notable name she fought to was a loss uh, loss that kicked off that three fight stoppage streak for Mara Romero Barrera. She fought Anna the Panda Elmos uh, and. Even Anna Panda's uh, Wushu Sanda, uh, unsharpened Wushu Sanda, to say the least, pressure was overwhelming. Cool whip, overwhelming for um, Mara Romero Borella. And uh, I hope that gets stuck in your head, by the way. But yeah, anyways, Pixfire here. It's not on the void, but no play. Over will probably hit. Round Fight starts round three, will probably hit. Same with that other female fight, will probably hit. But I stayed away. Um, by the way, uh, shout out to, uh, at Jedi Goodman on Twitter. He usually has some really good, uh, he's always, uh, sharp with those, uh, female overs posting, uh, cause they're, in, I don't know the exact percentage you can follow him, especially on fight night, but, um, it's pretty high. I don't blame you guys for adding that in your parlay pieces. I may do that if I put it, I haven't done any of my degenerate plays. I just did just a handful of plays literally that I listed. Maybe one other, which I'll tell you later. But yeah, I haven't really did anything too degenerate. But but that, that that's up there for degenerate stuff. All right, next fight for Fabricio Verdun minus two fifty five versus Derek Lewis plus two fifteen. Man, Derek Lewis, I've been hot and cold on his fights. I picked against him a lot. And you guys know, man, Fabricio Verdun's like top three, maybe even top the way I talk about him for underdog hits. You know, picking him against Cain Velasquez. Of course, I have a soft spot for him after that. I enjoyed his style. I was like Verdum actually before that. Even just being a fan, like, I remember catching up and going like, oh, this guy, you know, when he fought Gabe Gonzaga at UFC 80 Rapid Fire, and I'm like, oh, he fought him before, going back to the jungle fights and watching, you know, watching his fights, Alexander Emelianenko in Japan, and just, I've always, I've always been a fan of Verdum's fight style. And again, this shows me that I can pick against bias, because again, uh, you, you know, I love Kings MMA, Rafael Cordero, Fabricio Verdum's fight style. I don't know about his choice of words. We'll touch on that in a second. Maybe maybe I'll briefly just brush on that because I really don't have a strong opinion on that, to be honest. Um, but, um, but yeah, back to the fight. And, yeah, and, again, I picked against Lewis. But I'm picking Lewis here. And, again, I say it in the breakdown. I pretty much summarize it at the end where I go, dude, like, Verdum's a better fighter in every phase. He absolutely doesn't like the deserved favorite. He absolutely should be favored. But it's one of those things, man. It's just I, I got I got a bad feeling about this, Sarge. I got a bad feeling. You know, maybe it's the turning forty and that trend. Maybe it's the Derek Lewis good karma trend, that narrative versus the recent Fabricio narrative. But no, no, I cut that out. But still, still, there's a hard mathematic narrative of him getting dropped by right hands. Last four out of eight fights, most of those come from counter right hands when guys kick. That just, Verdum just always gets hit when he does his naked kicks, when he's not throwing in combination. Derek Luce has a good right hand when people throw naked kicks. That's how he hurt Travis Brown. That's how he turned the tide in that fight, as a matter of fact. And that's what I see him hitting him with here, as well as uppercuts. And you know Verdum, JDS days, he's been susceptible to some uppercuts in his day. You know? And, uh... Again, especially all these things, especially when Verdum, these, all these things I'm talking about, they happen when he's not throwing in combination. And what's Verdum not been doing very much lately? Throwing in combination. I don't know if, if it has anything to do with, you know, 
the USADA era stuff? I hope not. I'm a fan of Verdun's fight style, man. Don't tell me that shit was, you know, sponsored by steroids. Uh, sorry, allegedly. Uh, I'm not saying any of that stuff, by the way, at all. Um, or anything. I hope not. Uh, not even uh, trying to accuse or anything like that. And I feel even guilty for putting it out there even in this sense, in a loose sense. But um, but it's like, what, what what's going on there? You know, like the, the, you know, forget about the physique and the eye tests. That's subjective. But it's like, you know, my thing it could be, could be, you know, getting knocked out by Stipe. Maybe that's made him hesitant because he knocked Travis Brown's bone out of or his finger off the bone, saw it, you know, was was a, you know, this is a, not the same Travis Brown. This was an already beat Travis Brown. And we saw him just sit there and look at him and not throw and take his foot off the gas. And uh, he was doing the same thing against Alistair Overeem until hitting him with that knee. And and that's a fight where I look back and actually changed my opinion, by the way. Like, yeah, I knew it was a close fight, but I didn't have issue with Overeem winning. And I'm like, man, I I scored that first round for Verdum, not by a lot, but I scored that first round for Verdum. And then obviously you can even argue the 10-8 for the third. Um, So, yeah, I felt I should have went to Verdum for what that's worth, neither here nor there now. But the point was, he he was going into cruise control in that fight, too, before he hit that knee, if we're being honest. Um, and I believe that knee didn't come to like, two minutes into the third round. So, I mean, he had strong points in the beginning, and then was was fading off there, too, man. So, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what's going on with Verdum. It's hard to pick him confidently here, even if he was the pick. But I got a feeling uh, that it's going to be a good night for Derek Lewis. We'll see. I did put my money where my mouth is, so now that I'm just talking shit saying that, um, I did play Lewis at a, at a measly half a unit. Uh, when he was plus uh, 215 right now, he's, well, right now he is plus 215 as well, so there, there's that. Um, Lewis is also a part of the DraftKings roster for obvious reasons. Uh, if you need a dog, you, you want a heavyweight, a heavyweight or not, you don't necessarily want as in an absolute sense, but a heavyweight's a good place to start looking, right? Right? They can turn it around with just one punch, propensity to finish, all that good stuff that's gonna score you some points and maybe maybe put you know put some put some good uh some 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 good some good points in your favor at least. Uh Lewis makes it on the roster. Alright. Next fight co main event, Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borger. You almost forget about this fight happening because oh yeah. Um it was already scheduled, and, you know, it was really interesting hearing, I can't remember, I don't know if it was on, was it the Roadshow? I don't know. But uh, it was uh, colleagues of mine, nonetheless, no matter which outlet they work for, uh, talking about, you know, from the media standpoint, as far as, like, what do you do, regurgitate your questions, regurgitate your articles, which kind of you have to do at a certain point? That's boring. We're fatigued at doing that, putting it out. Obviously, you're probably going to be fatigued to read it. Um, and it was speaking of which, yes, yes, it's mainly the same breakdown. What do you want me to write a, a different breakdown for a fight that was scheduled four weeks ago? Nobody gave me shit for that one, but someone did for the freaking Nunes Shevchenko one, which was a similar situation, right? They're actually, they kind of crossed destinies on cards there, but it was a similar situation with Nunes Shevchenko. And someone was just like, you know, like, it's pretty much the same breakdown. Oh my goodness! Like, no shit. But like, you should be worried if it's a different breakdown. 
what the fuck happened to make you change your mind so much for pick or to rewrite it? You know, it doesn't make sense. Anyways, yes, it, it's essentially the same breakdown. My feelings are essentially the same. That's why, you know, uh, Ray Borg, I don't doubt his conviction, man. He's going to go deep into the mountains to hunt. He's going to go trophy hunting. I don't think he's going to catch much, man. I don't think he's going to catch much. I think Demetrius Johnson's going to cook him, and he's going to catch him in the later rounds, probably with a submission to make a point out of it, but I think he's going to mainly do his work standing, look to keep his standing, shut him down, because you look at most of Ray Borg's fights, and uh, you just don't see him being forced to stand much. When he, when, he, when he was, it didn't go good for him, and that was against a switch stance in and out guy named Justin Scoggins. So it's a more consistent, more dependable guy named Demetrius Johnson. Boy, and I don't know about minus 1375, you know, the plus 800 odds, but yeah, hard to argue. Hard to argue. Although, fun note, Ray Borg was so hyped when he came in, people, lest we forget, Ray Borg, guys, like his second fight in the UFC, and again, he, you think he's not a big promotable name now? How big do you think he name he was in his second fight in the UFC? Odds makers were giving him minus 800 odds, Okay. So it's just kind of funny seeing that massive drastic flip. And nobody gives an F, it seems like. Anyways, the pick is Johnson. Read the breakdown. Next fight. Kevin Lee, minus 180, Extreme Couture Zone. Versus Tony Ferguson, minus 220. Now this is where I lose my gym membership, guys. <laughs> Either that or whatever that tiff was between Kevin Lee and... John Morgan, now, I'm probably going to get much worse next time I see Kevin when he comes in the studio. Because y'all know he co-hosts a lot at uh, Junkie Radio. It has at least recently. But no, man, Kevin's a good dude behind the scenes. I really like Kevin. I really want to root for him here. My heart is with him. I wasn't just saying that in the breakdown. But my heart is with him here. But it's, it again, man, I can't... I can't... Yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do my job. I can't show, I can't, you know, pick off of my biases. I'm not, I can't lose the trust of my audience. What does that do, you know? Um, sure, it'd be, it's, believe me, man, believe me, it's so much fucking easier to just homer for fighters I like, gyms I have affiliations with. Believe me, uh, it would create a lot less. It's, it actually isn't a lot of tension, and everybody's been been cool pretty much, to be honest. So don't let me over dramatize it for y'all. I'm just saying it, it, but it does put me in a it does put me in a funny spot, especially with the way I'm wired. But man, it'd be so much easier to just be a homer. But at the same time, even if you were being a homer, even my ass, who's antisocial and doesn't you know play the networking game as much as you arguably should, believe me. Um, I know too many. I, I, I even me, I know too many people already. And that number's only growing working in the media. Um, and I already know too many people, even before I worked in the media, to be doing this shit. Not, not to be doing this shit, but not to run into this this issue. Um, issue being a strong word, but you get what I'm saying here. Um, so, in other words, I was going to run into it anyways. So, why not, at the end of the day, be able to hang my hat and say, you know what? I'm analyzing things as best I can, as honest as I can, like it or not. Follow me or not, agree with it or not, that's all cool. I know that's all good. It's all, it's all, it's all you're right. I, I ain't hating. But at least at the end of the day, you say I work hard, I'm honest, and I'm doing my best to be unbiased, and I admit my biases that I have. So that's that. And with that said, I picked against Kevin Lee. I got Tony Ferguson here. Y'all know I'm super high on Ferguson, man. I go on my presenting spiel, my presenting thing. He's a presenter, man. That's his style, right? Presenter, like a magician. He said in the terms. Making the environment work. Hicks and Gracie when he fought Zulu in the 80s. 
taking the pace up, knowing that the muscular guy couldn't hang at the same pace, he weathered the storm from guard. And when he set the heart rates for his opponent to fail, when he started getting a tire, his heart rate elevated, ticked back, choked him out. You know? Uh, in the breakdown I talk about, I'm, I hope it comes through clearly, but I talk about presenters being poker players, you know? Those are the guys who are winning the, pro- the poker rooms, not necessarily the best poker players. It's, the guy, it's not the guy that can collect the best hand. It's the guy that can present that he has the best hand. Or if he did collect the best hand, he can present that he doesn't have it. So you give him all his fucking money. Presenters. And that's what Ferguson is. You see it in the Venata fight. He goes for the guillotine a couple times, gets shot down. Everybody knows he wants the guillotine, Ferguson, but he gets it anyways. Even though they know it's coming. How? Well, he changes it up. He goes for the guillotine because he knows... If I go for the guillotine on Venata, Venata's going to have to fight hands. And when he fights hands to defend the guillotine to solve problem A, he's going to create some space between his lats and his traps that are going to allow my arm to slide through to get my darts and give him problem B on my terms. And he sealed the deal right there. He's an excellent presenter. And it's tough. This was the same problem with my breakdown with having Khabib win. That's why I picked Ferguson against Khabib, even though that fight didn't happen, because... Yeah, Khabib can, 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 can control him. Uh, you know, hips can be controlled if you get in on him. And if you're amongst the best in the division, which Khabib and, and Lee are out of the top for me when it comes to hips, controlling the hips of their opponents. Um, yeah, there's a path there. I'm not denying that. The problem is to get to that neighborhood, you have to go down a street called Snapdown City, right? That center torso area, whether you're in the clinch, even if you're not engaging in grappling. Again, with the Venata thing, Venata was rolling. And he grabbed it. Um, Barboza did go for a shot, but he actually cleared the shot. But uh, as he was rolling out and getting his head away from shot range, Ferguson said, no, get that back here. He snatches it from midair, the son of a bitch. His arms are so long. He's so hungry for the for, for the thing. And from the front headlock, you know, he can use it to take the back. He's dangerous in there. We've seen him, you know, work Gleason Tebow, Abel Trujillo, finish guys from the back, but... He loves going for that Darce, man. That Darce. And against a guy real muscular like Kevin Lee, there's going to be real little room for error. But the good news is Kevin Lee is Robert Fallis, a coach uh, who I call coach because uh, we're proud to have him at Extreme Couture. He's one of the best in the business. Um, he's finally getting more credit, not that he wants it. It's not his deal, and I respect him even more for that. But Robert Fallis is really well equipped. You know, you hear me stress on underhook getups and keeping, you know, not going high under the armpit, keeping your head low, grabbing under under the ass because that's going to offset guillotines and darces. Important stuff that'll save you from life or death against a guy like Tony Ferguson. I've had these same conversations with Fallis, man. So I'm not bullshitting in my breakdown. He's Lee's going to have really good prep for Ferguson, but. It's hard, man. It's hard when that's his main pathway. Not only does Ferguson have more ways to win the fight, but Lee's main pathway plays right into Ferguson's strength. Man, that's tough. And Lee's getting better every fight. Shout out to him and Dewey Cooper and then the work they've been able to do, man. Uh, they're they're going to keep getting better. And I do see gold in Lee's future, just just not here. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I'll, I'll be happy to eat my medicine from Lee if he wins. But if I'm being honest as an analyst, I'm surprised the line's not wider. I'm surprised that it was opened around 220. I'm surprised that Ferguson's still sitting at 220. Fight does not go the distance. Looks like a uh, one that might be up for a degenerate parlay fodder. You can get some nice plus money for Ferguson by submission, which in my opinion is the most likely outcome of the fight. 
Oh, by the way, I played Johnson inside the distance, minus 155 for recommended prop piece. Um, and Verdum Lewis does not go the distance, minus 170, which was surprisingly low because I see that fight being volatile. I see there. Verdum, if he's playing smart, fighting to his potential, he submits Lewis anytime. Um, if he cooks him and tries to strike and do the Verdum thing, I think Lewis could lose spirit and he could break him down and get a stoppage in the third round. Or if the fight goes the way I think, Lewis is going to get the knockout before that thing happens. So, sure, all heavyweights at fights have the propensity to, as my man Brad from uh, the MMA analysis, shout out to the MMA analysis, says, all these heavyweight fights have, have the propensity to fatty is going to fatty, as he says. But for minus 170, I'll fucking take a shot. And I did. Um, yeah, I got my straight plays. Those were covered. Harris, Bibliotis, those were covered. My avoids were covered. Uh, Ferguson, of course. Yeah, DJ was, uh, by the way, the most expensive guy on DraftKings. But if you use the dogs that I use, they were low enough price where you can actually afford to have DJ on your list because... It's a five-round fight. He's favored to win. I think you're, he's gonna. I think it's gonna go late, but plus get the finish. So it's gonna be some nice points there. Uh, so I see DJ finishing Borg. Sorry, I'm jumping on the round of the board here. I see DJ finishing Borg, maybe you know rounds four or five, and then of course Ferguson is the final piece on that a uh, DraftKings roster because again, sorry Kevin, but you know, sorry Kevin, but uh, Ferguson favored fighter in a five-round fight and. Odds, mathematically wise, most favored to get a finish. So hard not to have him there. So the just to recap, fantasy team DJ ninety seven hundred top going from top to bottom here. Walt Harris ninety two hundred. Tony Ferguson eighty nine hundred. Last three are dogs, starting with Derek Lewis seventy five hundred. Evan Dunham seventy two hundred. Cody Stammen seventy one hundred for a roster cost of forty nine thousand six hundred. Props. Johnston inside the distance, minus 155, one unit. Dunham by decision, quarter unit, plus 315. Verdun Lewis does not go the distance, one unit at minus 170. Straight plays, Dunham, plus 195 for a half unit. Tavares, minus 200 at 1.5 units. Lewis at plus 215 for half a unit. Parlay pieces, playable parlay pieces. Tavares mi- minus two hundred. Harris got him minus three ten. Bibliotov got him lower than this, but officially for the reason as you know, because stated the day of the breakdown. Minus five two twenty five of uh, minus five twenty five. Fights to avoid. Duke and Wah versus Stammen. Bolejo versus Gonzalez. I didn't say that name right. I'm sorry. Botello. Brooks versus Lentz and Schnell versus Beltran. All right. We're going to get the fuck out of here um, on that note. We've run longer than I wanted to, as per usual. Again, Amazon and Onyx being adjusted. Thank you for those who have been clicking through. But hey, t- t- take your foot out the gas. I'll, uh, it should be good by the next episode, but just wait till, wait till the next episode till I give you the green light. But thank you guys for doing that. Till then, just tell a friend. Subscribe on iTunes if you're not already. Give us a five-star rating or review. That really helps. Follow us at the PYM Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow me at DanTomMMA. And until next time, stay safe. Be kind to one another. You know, don't cut each other off. Hold the door open. But always protect your neck.